you know, we're sitting there in the office in January, 2021, we're working on bar pay, but we're just getting frustrated because it's like, man, no one's seeing, you know, what this actual Bitcoin stuff is supposed to be used for, or what it, you know, maybe not supposed to be used for, but what it can be used for, these micro payments. What could we build? What could we show our friends that's like, hey, this is a really simple way to understand some of the utility of blockchain. And it's not just about, oh, let me buy this coin and tell my friend to buy it so that the price goes up. Like, in my opinion, that's that's nonsense. That was never what the original purpose of Bitcoin was supposed to be. This is Joe DePinto. I am one of the co-founders of Haste and the Haste Arcade. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Joe DePinto set off to prove the utility of Bitcoin and made the world's first instant leader payout platform. All this and more on Code Story. Joe DePinto was born and raised in Los Angeles and was drafted to play professional baseball in the minors for the White Sox. He's always had an active lifestyle and now lives at the beach and surfs regularly. In 2015, he and his current co-founder started a company called BarPay, which makes it easier to get drinks at busy bars, and the product took off. In January 2021, Joe and his co-founder were sitting in their office, frustrated that no one was getting what Bitcoin that is BSV, not BTC, was originally created for. They asked themselves, what could we build to illustrate the utility of the blockchain? This is the creation story of Haste Arcade. We've all been arcades, you know, if you're our age at least. You imagine you go back, you put your quarter in the Pac-Man machine, you get on the leaderboard and you get to leave like your three initials. But that was really it, right? So these leaderboards, you know, on the Pac-Man machine, maybe they're 20 people, 50 people, whatever. You come back a month later and it's like, oh, cool, I'm still on the leaderboard. But that's really the only satisfaction you get, you know, from, from actually being skilled at this game. What Haste Arcade does is we use Bitcoin and, and blockchain specifically for what's called micropayments. So now imagine going and spending that 25 cents to play your Pac-Man game. You get on the leaderboard and now picture the leaderboard is, you know, a hundred people or a thousand people long. Well, anyone that comes and plays after you for as long as you're on the leaderboard, you're going to get a fraction of their 25 cents. So if you're in the number one spot, the way that our payouts work is you get, you know, 10% of every subsequent gameplay. If you're in the number 100 spot, you get like 0.01%. So no matter what, as long as you're somewhat skilled at this game, Obviously, you're playing the games to have fun, but now you have the opportunity and the ability to earn from them. And just for my own personal beliefs, uh, when I say Bitcoin, I'm talking about Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. So BSV would be the ticker symbol. I'm not talking about uh, BTC, which is what I think most people would assume is Bitcoin. That's the one that's trading at like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. That technology doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really have any utility. You can't do micropayments. You can't send really, really small amounts without paying a high fee or having it take a long time for them to get there. So we were just wanting to demonstrate the original you know, utility of Bitcoin as defined in the Bitcoin white paper. If you wanted to go and sell something for a dollar on the internet right now, you pretty much couldn't do it unless you were willing to give up 30 to 40% of your margin just to the credit card fees, right? Not even taking into account 
any of the other expenses you might have to create that product. That's the problem really that, that Bitcoin was originally created to solve. It was like, okay, how can we transact faster and cheaper? Well, you need to remove these third parties because they're the ones that are having to charge these fees because they have risks associated with handling these transactions. So basically, you know, we're sitting there in the office in January, 2021, we're working on bar pay, but we're just getting frustrated because it's like, man, no one's seeing, you know, what this actual Bitcoin stuff is supposed to be used for, or what it, you know, maybe not supposed to be used for, but what it can be used for, these micro payments. What could we build? What could we show our friends that's like, hey, this is a really simple way to understand some of the utility of blockchain. And it's not just about, oh, let me buy this coin and tell my friend to buy it so that the price goes up. Like in my opinion, that's that's nonsense. That was never what the original purpose of Bitcoin was supposed to be. So just to, to kind of wrap it all up or, or how we at least came up with the concept, it was just to demonstrate, you know, the utility of micropayments and, and something simple that we could build to show our friends, hey, here's, you know, a cool, simple little game that you can play. And if you're good at it, you know, you're gonna make a tenth of a penny every time someone else plays, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, like I said, in the arcade, when you have a couple thousand people playing, you know, you can start to make some real money. Well, let's dive into the MVPs, that first version of the product you built. How long did it take you to build and you know, what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I gotta, I gotta mention Dan again. So Dan Wagner, uh, my co-founder at BarPay, and then me and him were, were the original ones at Haste. We have two other co-founders now who have come on and they're, they're much more senior level developers. So they've been a tremendous help. Dan's the type of person where, you know, if he comes to a problem, he won't, he won't stop until he's figured out like not just how to solve it, but why the solution works that way. He'll be sitting there for like 14 hours in a row. And be like, dude, you need to go to the bathroom. You need like a cup of water. Like what, what are you, what's going on? Are you all right? He got tired of, you know, hearing developers talking about things and him being on the product management side, not understanding what they were saying. He was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to start, you know, taking some programming courses, learn how to code. And basically he got good enough to the point where in 2021, you know, we're sitting in the bar pay office. It was like really late on January 2nd. It was the day after new year's. And I think we were still maybe like a little hungover from new year's or whatever, but we're just sitting there talking about Bitcoin. And we start talking about that quarter example where it's like, you know, we could split up a quarter and send it to a hundred of our friends. That'd be cool like how, how could we do that like what should be the triggering mechanism and we started you know writing friends names down i was like oh you know what? this kind of looks like a leaderboard let's just create some super simple silly game that you know we can we can show people and so the original game took dan maybe an hour or two to to program like the mvp of the mvp like the very first thing that we were testing but all that it was was you play on your phone, you'd have to connect a wallet, and there's a wallet called Handcash that, that we use within the, the BSV ecosystem. Uh, and they make it really easy to like sign into other applications. So, you know, you can go and sign in with Google now or sign in with Twitter. Like this works kind of the same way as that with Handcash. You would basically sign into this, this website that we were just calling Play Haste at the time. You would choose what level you wanted to play on. So you could play for a penny, 10 cents, a dollar, $10, $100. You'd say, start game. Your entire phone screen would go blank. And then within two to three seconds, a little yellow dot would show up somewhere on the screen. And the entire purpose of the game was to tap the dot as fast as you can. So your score would be measured in the milliseconds that it would take to actually tap this dot. So say I go on there, I hit play game on the 10 cent level. Dot shows up, I tap it, my score is 427 milliseconds. 
you play after me right when you hit start game i'm gonna get a portion of your gameplay cost because i'm already on the leaderboard but then you go and you score 362 milliseconds so now you're ahead of me on this leaderboard anyone that plays after you you're now going to be getting a portion of their gameplay spent so the game was that simple basically just tap a dot but what we saw was it immediately went like viral. You know, I think we probably spent maybe two or three more days after the original like programming of it, just cleaning up the, the UI a little bit so that, you know, there was like a rules and how it works dis uh, displayed. But really that was that was pretty much it. I mean, it was definitely less than a week idea to, to proof of concept. And we were testing it, playing it with a couple of our friends around town. Dan, I don't have Twitter, Dan, uh, Dan's on Twitter and he just tweeted about it, tagged the BSV community in it. And like I said, it went viral to a couple thousand people within the first like day or two. People were really, really excited. Like, oh my gosh, this is like such an obvious, easy to understand use for microtransactions and micropayments. And it kind of got, you know, more publication and more press just from that. So I, I don't know, I think, you know, call it a, a full week to have idea to, you know, paying customers, I guess, if, if you will. So you've got the MVP and it's working, obviously, right? It's, it's going viral. People are using it and they get it. How are you progressing the product from that point? How did you progress it and mature it? And I think what I'm curious about is how you guys built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Haste Arcade. Yeah, I think with this one, it's probably a little bit different than, than most startups. We didn't build the MVP thinking that we were going to turn into anything. We were just doing it because it's like, hey, we love Bitcoin. We want to show people what you can do with Bitcoin. But about a week after we had released it, there was a VC company within the BSV space that ended up writing an article about what we had built. And what they did was they took what we were now calling like our instant leaderboard payout model. And we call it instant leaderboard because like I said, that hand cash app, if you have that application and you have your notifications turned on, literally every single time someone plays after you, you get a little ping of the Bitcoin hitting your wallet. So it is instant. It's not like, you know, a credit card that takes 24 to 48 hours to actually show up. Basically, they took our instant leaderboard payout infrastructure and, you know, one of the outputs in that payout goes to whoever created the game. So the way to think about it is you have one input, which is the person saying play game for 10 cents. And then you have 100 outputs from that one particular input. And of those outputs, you know, you have your leaderboard positions and then your game developers on there somewhere. Well, they took that structure and they said, let's look at Flappy Birds, this game from 2015 that had, you know, 50 million users at its peak. Super hyper casual game, you know, one of those things that went viral and then kind of like faded away after, you know, a couple months. But to their estimates, the Flappy Birds developers had been making roughly 50 to $60,000 a day from ad revenue because that was the only way they were monetized. It was a free game to play, but you would see, you know, a silly ad before or during the game. They said if, if they would have had this leaderboard structure instead of ad revenue, they would have gone from making fifty to $60,000 a day to over $2.5 million a day if people were only playing at the half penny level with the scale of 50 million plus users. So we're reading this and like we hadn't even really thought about this at this point. They also said that whoever was holding the, the number one leaderboard position at that level of scale would have been generating about $250,000 a day of income. So we read that and we're like, holy cow, like there's some serious, you know, business model use cases that you can have for this type of stuff 
within you know the casual gaming industry like who likes ads to begin with i would gladly pay half of a penny to play a game and not have to see an ad then on top of that i can make money and then on top of that like the actual game developer can can generate way more revenue than the current ad models so when we saw that we were like man we've been working on bar pay for six years obviously it's our it's our first baby but like we love bitcoin and and this just seems like there could be something really cool here well, after that article came out, some other people started reaching out to us, people within the BSV space, some other investors, you know, are you guys building more games? Do you, what, what, what's your next plan? Basically what you just said, like, what's your roadmap? And we didn't really have one at the, at the time other than knowing we wanted to, to be working in Bitcoin in some capacity. We talked to some of our investors at BarPay. We told them, you know, hey, we created this thing. It kind of went viral. It's doing a little bit more than I guess what we thought it would when we put it out. We want to pursue it in some capacity. How would you guys feel about that? And our, our lead investor of BarPay was actually really excited about the idea. They said, you know what, this, this sounds really cool. Like we'd actually want to get involved and invest in that as well. If you guys put together a plan for, for what you want to do with that business. So it was around that point that had maybe been about, I don't know, two months after the original game had come out. We put out a couple small games along with it. Like there was one game called Flashcards where basically, you know, you hit play shows you a math problem, you pick the answer in two seconds, you get the next question, if you get it wrong, your streak ends. But it was it was the time when that lead investor, you know, when they offered to get involved that we said, okay, you know, if there's gonna be real resources and capital behind this, we need to get some, some real talent in here. Okay, let's switch to team then. How did you build your team? And uh, I'm curious what you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you. Fortunately, you know, through BarPay, we had relationships with some pretty good developers, but one gentleman in particular named Eric LaForce, who was basically the lead developer when we first contracted the, the BarPay work out, uh, there was a firm in Charlotte, North Carolina called Level that did, you know, contracted app development. After that project was done, he hit us up on the side and just said, hey guys, I, I think this BarPay thing is pretty cool. I'd love to help out if you guys need anything. He probably knew you know, we were going to need some serious help getting from MVP to, to scaling that. So him just offering to, to stay you know, on in a part-time capacity was, was a blessing. He was the first person we took this this haste idea to and he said yeah you know what this sounds pretty cool let me let me think about it do you mind if i share this with my twin brother who is also you know extremely senior level developer and eric came back to us about a week later and said you know what i showed this to to keith and we both think it's it's about the best idea we've ever seen and you know this coming from a consulting company where they're getting pitched ideas all the time we thought like wow this is it's pretty cool so you know they asked what do you want from us and, and we said well like quit level and, and join us full time, like take take the plunge into the, the startup world as opposed to, you know, the quarter million dollar a year salary and all the benefits and all that stuff that they were they were currently working for. You know, they, they thought about it and they were like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? We went and hired a couple other people. Level at the time had actually just been acquired. So it kind of worked out well where we got to not necessarily cherry pick, but Eric and Keith had really good relationships with, with some of the really, really experienced and talented developers there. So we got a pretty good team put together really quickly. And at that point it was like, okay, what do we want to turn this into? Well, we think the business use case is, you know, for game developers. And we think that obviously like gamers can enjoy this too. We should probably build a way for the, the game devs to implement this ILP service into their games. And then on the other side, like 
you know, we need to market to, to the gamers themselves. So to answer your question about like, how do you put a roadmap together? You know, there were a series of steps that went into it, you know, before we even thought this is something we're going to do full time. But once we had the team, it, it was much easier to kind of say, okay, we need to put together the, the software developer kit for the game developers. We need to figure out a way to attract gamers to the arcade and we need to be developing games in-house as well. So it's kind of like this, this three-headed uh, monster that we have to address all at the same time. But that was really it. It was, you know, what's going to be the best way, the fastest way to, to get this concept to gamers and to game developers and then just step by step, how do you get there? Let's flip to scalability then. And I understand the, the, the blockchain scalability, but there's elements that you've got to build. And in, in building that first game, I'm sure you had to consider a few of these things. So I'm going to ask this sort of in a, in a bland way and just let you go. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? Or is this something you're fighting in any capacity as you grow? Definitely not something we built to scale from day one. But you, you hit on it, blockchain scalability is actually a huge factor when you're talking about things like micropayments. Like I love talking about this because this is one of what I think is like the, the most overlooked thing in the entire blockchain space right now. And it's that, you know, the miners on these chains have to have an incentive to continue mining the chain, otherwise the chain's gonna freeze. I'm mining these blocks for, you know, one of two rewards, either the block reward which is what people refer to as like the halvings, right? Every block that gets mined, you are getting some amount of, of Bitcoins for, for solving that block, but the amount halves every roughly four years, right? So right now it's at 6.25 Bitcoins per block. Sure, as long as the price is 20,000, 50,000, $100,000, like that reward is probably gonna cover your electric costs. But what happens 20 years from now when the block rewards you know, less than one Bitcoin per block, BTC, by capping the amount of data that they can put in a block, they're basically saying like the transaction fees are only going to be, you know, this much ever. So as a miner, you know, what is my economic incentive going to be 10 years from now when I'm looking at BTC and it's like, I'm going to spend $100,000 to make $105,000 on the BTC chain, but on BSV, I'm going to spend $100,000 and make $500,000 because there is an infinite amount of transactions that can be fit into each one of these blocks. So with us, we needed, you know, dozens and dozens and hundreds of transactions per second going on. You can't do that on any other blockchain that we've been able to find. And we've looked into Solana, we've looked into Ethereum, Ethereum is not even close. BSV is the only blockchain that actually scales to the levels of global adoption. You know, you have the scalability of the chain is one thing, but then the scalability of our actual technology, that's also been a learning curve, right? So the first game we put out that I was describing, we weren't planning, you know, on, on anything crazy happening with that. Could get hacked. Like I think someone actually was able to hack it for like a hundred bucks one time, something like that. Well, we bring in all of these, you know, senior level developers and we're talking about game development. And the first issue that comes up is called, you know, being server authoritative. So basically, what we've seen, and this has been probably the biggest issue in terms of, of scaling and letting other outside developers submit games so far, is that traditionally a hyper-casual game, no one really cares if someone's able to you know, get in and, and hack the scoreboard and put themselves at the top of the leaderboard because there's no money on the line. Well, now that money's on the line, it does matter. So all of our games have to be architected 
in a way that is server authoritative. So basically, that's been a new learning curve for the hyper casual game developer. Now, your AAA games like Call of Duty, you know, Grand Theft Auto, those are typically going to be server authoritative. But the market that we're at least originally going after, you know, this is something new to them. We've had to build not just like a good SDK, but the, the documentation around it has to be really freaking good. Otherwise, like it's just something that most of these, you know, casual game devs don't understand. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built thus far, what are you most proud of? Maybe the relationships, you know, more so than the products themselves. Dan and I have been working together, you know, if you count baseball, like for over 10 years now. Eric and Keith, since Eric's been involved with BarPay for, you know, seven plus years, and then the team that they've put together. It just seems like, you know, we've been able to build a solid team around this concept. And then the products in particular, Personally, I'm really proud of Barpay just in the sense that, you know, for a, a tech startup with two non-technical co-founders to survive for seven years is probably not not in the norm, but just kind of grinding and being persistent with that. And then when it comes to haste, the, the concept between behind ILPs and the SDK that we built for, for the instant leaderboard payouts, I see so many applications for that in a blockchain world. And I'm not saying that we get there. I don't know that blockchain actually becomes the thing that you know some people say it could be where it replaces the internet i personally hope it gets there i see a lot of value for you know a trustless protocol where you don't need third parties to intervene and you don't have risk management associated with third parties but i think that that sdk could really really be interesting you know outside of even just gaming right like another example i like to give is education. You can now take this leaderboard payout structure, you could create a token if you're a school or a university, and now instead of kids just taking tests and, okay, you know, Noah got the best grade in the class, he got an A plus, Joe got, you know, the third best, he got an A minus. Well, let's, let's start valuing this in real time. And let's say, okay, whoever gets the highest score on this particular test is gonna earn 100 of this school's tokens. Whoever gets the second best score is gonna earn 90. Whoever gets the third best, 80, etc. Well, what can I do with those tokens? Now I can go to the cafeteria and actually use these tokens. Now I can go to the school bookstore and use these tokens. It's like, you can basically incentivize anything now in real time just because of like how small you know the the value that you're sending back and forth can be like these tokens don't have to be worth more than a penny a piece but the fact that you can actually do something with it and you can pretty much gamify anything that's probably what i'm i'm most proud or excited about is just like you know if blockchain does go on to become a big thing i see what we've built with ilps being a very very useful tool that you know, not just game developers, you know, basically anyone that's doing something competitive could integrate with their with their platform or with their software. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We build out this arcade and, you know, again, we're, we're making micropayments, right? We're making micropayments from couple thousand people, which doesn't add up to a lot to run a company off of. If you're one person, you're making an extra couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month, like that's great. But when you've got eight employees who are on, you know, full-time salary, it's like, okay, you know, micropayments aren't paying the bills yet. There needs to be massive scale to, to actually be able to generate a profit from micropayments. 
we released another product called Take It, which was, or it still is, uh, an NFT marketplace. You know, you think about these Board Ape Yacht Clubs or some of these other NFTs that have sold for thousands of dollars, and it's like, man, how do they, how do they come up with the value of that? Like, it, it seems like they're just they're pumping it, they're shilling it, they're getting celebrities to say, oh, I'm gonna buy one of these, and that's gonna drive the price up. The idea behind Take It was, you know, there's nothing wrong with spending a lot of money or making a lot of money, but like. Let's let's let the market actually decide what the value is instead of you know the creator or the celebrities that they get involved with it. So the way that Take It works, you list an NFT as the creator. Someone can come to the platform, right? They see this thing drops. You can come in. You can say that's a cool NFT. I'm gonna take it. So you take that NFT. You're holding on to it. You paid fifty dollars or one BSV. Me as the creator, I got that revenue. Well, let's say you know our friend Alex comes in. She's like, you know what? I like that NFT and takes it from you, Noah. When you took it the first time, the price automatically increases by thirty percent. So where you spent fifty dollars, next time what would that be? Sixty-five bucks. Alex comes in. She takes it from you. So she pays sixty-five dollars. You get your original fifty dollars back. You also get six percent of the thirty percent markup. That she paid. So now you're actually walking away with like what, fifty-two dollars or fifty-three dollars. You have a little bit of profit on what you had originally bid. You can go and take the NFT back from her, but every time it gets taken, the price increases by thirty percent. So that's creating a little bit of、uh, an income source now for the person that took the NFT previously, for the creator because they're getting a royalty, and then the platform also is taking you know a, a couple percents per take. If you actually like that NFT, you're guaranteed to either get the NFT or to get a profit on your bid if someone takes it from you. So that platform, Take It, has since you know that launched full time. I think August of last year. That's gone on to do you know as much revenue as the arcade since you know the arcade is is two years old at this point. That platform is only about six months. So I guess you know kind of wrapping all that back together was. Those early early learnings about follow the money and follow you know where the most demand is. The money、uh, you know on take it is is pretty substantial. It's pretty significant, and you know we decided we made a, a, a team decision to to build that out and not have it be like a little stepchild. But if you go to takeitnft.com now, you'll see it's just advanced as hastearcade.com. So you know again separate platform. We figured out a way to to actually have them both work together. We do have like an NFT marketplace. Within the arcade, so you can buy, you know, cool skins or stuff like that for for different characters within the games. But you know, taking that learning from the fast pass, applying it within Haze, and saying, you know what, this this take it thing has some serious demand. It's generating significant revenue. Let's go and actually build this out、uh, into its own standalone platform, and and that's exactly what we've done. So we talked about mistake and what happened there, and、uh, but a little bit different spin here. If you could go back to the beginning of, of your projects of, of Haste Arcade of of Take It, what would you do different, or where would you consider taking a different approach? Doesn't have to be a mistake. Doesn't have to be something that went wrong, but you would tweak a little bit. I personally would have wanted to start programming sooner. I know Dan would say the exact same thing, and, and Dan got started really early. It just feels to me, at least, if you're in the technology space, learning how to program is is If it's not already a necessity, it's like the old school sales guys and, and marketing guys. Like what I, you know, the the role I would typically fall into, they're just going to be non-existent moving forward. Like you can go and pay Google now to do all the stuff automated. It's like 
you don't need to have you know a huge sales force anymore it's just you go and you pump money into the google machine and it pumps out results and and that's i don't know that's that's what i've learned the most i guess is you know the the days of cold calling and you know the traveling salesman I, I enjoyed that with Barpay, but I think that, you know, if, if that's the industry you're in, if that's the role that you're playing, that it's probably not going to go on for too much longer, at least in the technology space. I feel like everything's going to be automated. Technology can do so much more than, than one person. I, I don't like to like look back on things and, and have regret. I think that, you know, most things, most decisions you make, like you make them for a specific reason in that moment and you move forward with it. So I can't really say there's anything I would have done differently other than, you know, I, I, I would have preferred to have begun learning about programming, um, you know, years before I did. And I'm sure Dan would say the same thing. Joe, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit several times? Have persistence. I don't know. I mean, VCs will tell you fail fast or, or you know, or have a home run. I, I agree with that to some sense, but at the same time, like I think you have to have persistence. And there's going to be no matter how cool your your idea or your concept is, there's going to be days where you're just like, man, people just aren't getting it, or like, am I going crazy? Like, what what do I do? And it's it's during those days where you've really got to just like focus on okay this is one day what can i do for the next 10 minutes to be productive like can i write you know a one paragraph blog post about my product can i go and read a one paragraph blog post about a competitor's thing or some marketing strategy that a competitor is doing without persistence i don't i don't see any entrepreneurs that that could actually be like successful because no one's going to have a perfect story i mean Instagram maybe is the closest example of that, but like, it's just, you're going to come to to difficult times, difficult decisions, you know, times where you feel like quitting and it's just like, you can't, you just have to keep going forward. You have to persist. And that would be the one thing that, you know, I don't think that takes any skill. It just takes heart. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic advice. Well, Joe, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Haste, Haste Arcade, and, and looping us in on Take It. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.